Now that the not my kid, not my problem approach has been exposed, let's talk about how we can avoid becoming that kind of parent. It's not as easy as saying that we won't operate that way. We actually have to be intentional about the way that we prepare and how we pay attention during some of the more crucial stages of our relationship. This is one of those situations where if you put in the work, you will get the results. But if not, you're probably going to need some cheese with those nachos. Welcome to Blended. I am your host, Jeremiah Wallace, and my goal is to see blended families thriving. If you are navigating this experience, then you're in the right place. This podcast is purposed to provide support, information, and the encouragement that we need to fulfill our family's potential. What is going on, Blenders? This is going to be the last episode of what's been a great series in being a step parent. The last one, as you know, was the problem with nacho parenting. And I don't feel as if I held back any punches. I think if there's if there is any confusion concerning my stance on nacho parenting, then you might need to see a doctor. I was I was just very, very blunt. I was very clear as far as my heart concerning that approach to functioning as a step parent. It is ultimately an issue. And uh, just to briefly recite, I believe that it is rooted in selfishness, some form of self-preservation. And we tend to fall back on selfishness or protecting ourselves in response to some hurt, whether that hurt comes from the spouse, whether it comes from the children, the ex that is in the situation, whatever their role is, and just the litany of circumstances that the blended family produces. The conviction of a nacho parent ultimately compromises our ability to commit to what we've committed to and be responsible for what we are in fact responsible for. Those things, that approach corrupts our thinking and our behavior. So nacho parenting is not good, okay? That's essentially what I am saying. And we're going to talk today about how to avoid becoming a nacho parent. And that's actually an effort that must be made. We have to be intentional about the way in which we do things because nacho parenting is kind of, it can be a default. It is reactionary opposed to being something that we're in agreement with because we have been proactive in our ability to fulfill our role. And in my opinion, the umbrella of avoiding becoming a nacho parent kind of consists of preparation as well as paying attention. We're going to be addressing some things that we can do, put in place, practice, and be mindful of in order to specifically avoid this default or self-preservation in the form of nacho parenting. But it really boils down to paying attention as well as preparing adequately. And it's funny, I was having a conversation with my niece the other day. Uh, she just turned 10 years old and she was talking about her excitement about becoming 18 years old. And she specifically focused on the privileges that she would have at her disposal once she hits that age, as if everything, the world just opens up and she is just free to do whatever, say whatever. And I get that because when I was her age, 
and younger, one of my dreams was to have just a box of fruity pebbles to, to myself. Just I, I saw when I got older, there will, would come a day where I could just eat this box. This is a privilege that I would have. And guess what? I have fulfilled that privilege. And it was one of the best in my life. Just that day, I felt like just a ray of sunshine over my life. So yes, there are privilege that, privileges that will exist when she hits that age. But I thought it was very important in that moment to bring up the fact that with those privileges also comes responsibilities. You can't just have the privileges and think about the good things, what you can do. She'll be able to drive at that point. She will be able to stay out with friends. She'll be able to do this and that. But that also comes with the responsibility of paying some bills, of being more intentional with her time when she wakes up and when she goes to sleep, her study time, just all of the above with our privileges also comes responsibilities. And I feel like even us adults, that's something that is kind of lost on us. So when we think about relationships, we think about the privilege of being in relationship with an individual. We think about the fact that we have access to affection. We will have the privilege of support, affirmation and companionship and even becoming a step parent and having the life of a young person that is under your influence that you get to love on and be an example for. That's also a privilege, but it also comes with responsibility. You are responsible for the exact example that you are setting for that individual. You are responsible for tending to your relationship, not just in the first three or four years when sparks are still flying, but when you are not filling it, literally tending and investing in your relationship is a responsibility. Doing certain things despite the fact that you're not filling it in that very moment, whether that's doing work, schoolwork with your children, whether that's having a certain conversation with your spouse, doing things that are contrary to what you feel like doing or how you feel. And then there's also the growing in our ability to resolve conflict. That is a responsibility. So we have this privilege of this relationship that we look forward to. We look forward to the blending and it's exciting. It's a bit of a whirlwind, but we oftentimes relinquish, forget about the responsibility. But guess what? We end up in these situations, these relationships where three, four, five, six, ten years in, we're looking at a lot of responsibility and it doesn't feel so much like privilege. And that's because we didn't have the two working together as effectively as they should have been. And I feel as if many couples or individuals end up at this crossroad or at this uh, place of difficulty because we do not take into consideration the fact that dating as a parent or dating a parent is completely different from dating someone as just two single individuals without that responsibility or that history. The difference between the two is incredible. It's almost like an individual training for a 100 meter sprint versus somebody training for a marathon. They are obviously both running. If you have them going in slow-mo, then their form might look pretty similar, but those races are drastically different and the training to arrive at an optimal level of execution is going to be extremely different as well. 
So the way in which two single individuals come together and they prepare for a long lasting relationship and all that that consists of during their courtship phase, it's going to be drastically different than it looks for whether it's two families coming together and blending or really any blending scenario. The way that you prepare for that is just going to be drastically different. And while I believe that regardless of whether you're single or you have you have kids and you're approaching a relationship, I do believe that paying attention and preparing adequately are super important. But it's especially the case when we're talking about blending families. And if that's it's not something that we do, if we are not diligent in the way that we date, in the way that we prepare for our relationship, we blend and just everything that precedes that point. If we don't do that well, then nacho parenting is almost a natural response because if we aren't diligent, then we tend to skip steps and our foundation ends up real messed up. And eventually we find ourselves trying to come up for water because we're drowning. There's just so many things that slipped our attention. There are just so many things that we missed or we overlooked. The red flags were ignored or we just didn't know that this was a significant thing that needed to be addressed prior to moving forward. We kind of just bypassed it and expected or believed that it was just going to work itself out. And many of you listening have arrived at a point in your family and in your life in general that, you know, at this point, things don't just really work themselves out. We've arrived at a point of maturity and understanding as well as experience that allows for us to know now that we have to work it out. And that is why I'm here. I am here to help you guys work stuff out, to have some insight on how to go about doing that as I am also in my life and in my relationships working it out. So today, as we focus on the avoidance of the concept of nacho parenting, there are four things that I want to address that fall under the umbrella of preparedness and paying attention. And I strongly believe that if these things are incorporated, if we're mindful of these things during courtship, as well as the early stages of our relationship, when we're blending and everything, then I feel as if the outcome of success is almost guaranteed. And in my opinion, there are only two successful outcomes or two outcomes that can be considered a success. Number one being you guys come to a point, you and your partner, this is before marriage, this is during the courtship phase. You're just like, hey, I like you a lot. I love you. I like you a lot. And I like the children present. And I believe that we can do this, that we can come together, that we can blend. And we are committed. We are moving forward in commitment. Um, and this is a conversation that we've had. We are not stumbling into commitment. It's literally, I'm looking you in the eye. You're looking me in the eye. I commit to you, you commit to me, and you move forward with parallel desires. Like we're doing life together and this is, we're moving to a point of permanence. Like we're getting married, I'm going to become a step parent, you're going to become a step parent, whatever the case. Like commitment and parallel desires. That is a successful outcome. And the second outcome is that the relationship comes to an end. <laughs> and this is prior to the affections of the children and any just moves of permanence 
take place because there are so many scenarios where people moved too far too fast and all of a sudden there are these emotional spiritual ties there are financial ties there's just legal ties that just don't make sense and it just things happen too fast and without the diligence necessary to have achieve a successful outcome so it's best that it's determined early on before all that you know permanent stuff happens that this just doesn't work. This is not going to work for us. And I, I believe strongly that that's a sign of maturity. And it really is a successful outcome because you linger in that. If that goes on, what, for another three, six, maybe even 10 years before the separation or the breakup happens, how much messier, how much uglier is that than if it happens within the first year or two, you acknowledged and appreciated the red flags and just came to a mature conclusion of, hey, this is based on how things have been up to this point. It's probably not going to it's probably not going to work out. It's probably not in my best interest or in your best interest for us to move forward. That is also a successful outcome. And I want to help you with successful outcomes today and how you can go about achieving them under the umbrella of, again, paying attention and preparation. And the first thing that I'll talk about is doing your homework. So I will leave in the description of this episode um, another episode that I did entitled Do Your Homework. And I strongly suggest listening to it. Um, it's really good for prospective step parents. But what it kind of boils down to is you are diligent in learning about the person that you're interested in, learning about their history, learning about not just who they are presently, but the outcomes that surround them. Obviously, this is an individual that went through something strenuous or devastating in their divorce separation. They have children that also have things that they've witnessed or been a part of. So you just want to be diligent in learning, okay, like not just what's going on now, but what happened. So legit, you're asking questions like, how did you contribute to the outcome of your previous relationship? How did you contribute to your divorce? What did you do? And for me, a super big red flag is an inability to answer that question when it's all just pointed toward the X. Then for me, that's just kind of like, all right, I'm dealing with somebody that's kind of back crazy. And, and sure, it could be mostly the other person. They could have been like the worst. They could be that outlier of like, oh my gosh, that was just a terrible person. And you literally just not did everything right. Nobody does everything right. But you tried very hard. But even in that, mistakes are made. That means this individual likely overlooked some things or allowed some things, etc. So how did you contribute to your divorce? That's part of doing your homework. Also, existing issues or dysfunction with the ex. It's like, how do you guys communicate? Is it volatile um, or are you guys still very affectionate and close for some really odd reason? That's important as well. There's also the parenting style, Par paying attention to how this individual raises their children. Like what is the, what is the order of their example and their support and their instruction? How does that come about? Um, do they even ask their children to clean or are they like OCD and their children are cleaning all the time and their children don't have much breathing room, much 
ability to just be children. And then there's also like their family. So the family of the individual that you're interested in, what's the state of your family? If and it's funny because if an individual is surrounded by brokenness, divorce and dysfunction, I'm just like, hey, you know, not that you can't be with that person, but you have to look at them and be like, hey, so you're telling me that you're the one that escaped. You are the one that ended up being unscathed from all of this wild, crazy dysfunction. I don't think so, dude. <laughs> you do an amazing job of maintaining, of being functional or hiding it. But no, I'm not necessarily buying it. And then you can also get the perspective of those family members. You should you have the right if you are looking to move forward committed fully to an individual, guess what you have the right to do? You have a right to talk to their parents, to ask them questions about them. You have a right to talk to their siblings, their cousins to kind of figure out, hey, who is this dude a little bit? Just get familiar with who this person is. Do your homework and be diligent in doing so. There will be a lot of information that comes from that. And the second thing, this is extremely important. I think this is one of the biggest mistakes in people moving toward blending their families. And I can't wait in the future to expound a bit, but don't bind yourself before commitment. I'll say that one more time. Don't bind yourself before commitment. There are so many people that are ending up tied to individuals prior to establishing any form of commitment. And if you want to simplify this point even further, it can be encompassed as they are not until they are. So they are not your spouse until they are. You guys aren't married until you're actually married. Your their family, their parents, they are not your in-laws until they are, in fact, your in-laws and dealing with your partner's ex. That is not your ex or your burden or your situation to deal with until it is until you are the spouse of this individual those children that your your prospective step parent and the children of your love interest they are not your children your kids until they are until you are actually a step parent and so you know where I'm getting at you're not a step parent until you're a step parent, you are the love interest of their parent. And yes, you are a parental figure and, a, and an adult, an example, but you are not a step parent. And far too often, these lines are blurred and it just causes chaos and disorder. And I know that it is a form of endearment when we try and kind of give these titles out early and we want to function in them early, but there's a difference between endearment and what eventually becomes entrapment. Because if you are, for instance, someone that comes into a situation and the kids are calling you mommy or daddy after six months to a year, and sure, that's sweet, that's cute and everything, but how much more difficult will it be to remove yourself from that relationship, for you to achieve the successful outcome of bringing that relationship to an end, 
if you see very clearly that this is not in your best interest or the best interest of everyone else involved, how much more difficult is it going to be to leave that relationship? And another thing that I find is people adopting responsibility because with roles come responsibility. However, if you do not yet have the role yet, you find yourself responsible in a lot of ways that can that can go. That's backwards. That things can go sideways. Things can result in bitterness. For instance, maybe you're picking up the children from school and you're again, you're not a step parent. You're not a spouse yet, but this is something that you wanted to do to it's a effort of endearment and it's a an effort to relieve maybe some things off of the plate of your love interest. But again, like the commitment isn't there yet. It's not. And I get that we can do nice things and we can step out and we can provide relief for the people that we're interested in. Um just because that's our heart and we care about them. And it could be just a low stakes, one off type of situation. But if you get to a point where, again, you are responsible and you're consistently functioning as the pickup and drop off, as the cook, as the one communicating communicating with the ex all of the sudden, like you don't <laughs> you haven't been provided that capacity because you are not in that role yet. You are not until you are. And again, when you are doing all of those things, the running around, the handling this, and again, your responsibilities have preceded your role, then how much more difficult is it to leave when you know it's what's best? Because now you're tied, you've established these social ties, relational ties, and it's hard to escape or step back when you've just rushed into responsibility and situations that you shouldn't have been in. And while it may not have been the intention of your love interest, all of a sudden you're you're trapped. You've found yourself in entrapment and you're just going to move forward because things have moved so quickly and you're a, an essential component of how things function, how the these cogs work together now. And and you're kind of stuck. And if you throw cohabitation on top of that, then it just makes things impossibly difficult to to step back from and i know it makes sense to most people to to cohabitate to live together to see how we could really blend our families and how these dynamics can be worked out and whatnot prior to making things official but those relationships end like 70 to 75 percent of the time cohabitation is not effective and when you think about family when you think about a love interest they're not a car they're not a car to test drive. You should date. You should definitely encounter the children and do relationship with them, do life with them over a pretty significant amount of time. But in my opinion, cohabitating is like playing family before you are actually a family. I truly believe and I so strongly feel this right now. Your commitment is what precedes your responsibility. And if I'm keeping it real, one of the major issues of just family relationships and when it comes to cohabitating especially is that the standards are dropped. And what I mean by that is one of a woman's greatest assets, tools, or a gift that they have based on their design is their ability to set the standard. 
set the standard for what is required to to have them to be in relationship with them to achieve a committed relationship with them however when you're cohabitating and then you're likely having sex and your family is like the we're doing the whole family thing what's being communicated to men is pretty much you've done all that you need to do in order to win me over because we're not very we're not very smart we would love to have great virtues morality and standards but there are moments where we end up like adam like adam and eve in the garden um, I just can imagine when Eve was reaching for that fruit, she, Adam right behind her, she's butt naked because, you know, clothes weren't a thing yet. And he's just like, this is a terrible moment. This is a terrible thing that's happening. We're being super disobedient right now. But dang, baby got back like <laughs> Eve is banging. Eve is amazing. And therefore, the standard is set. We're all just like jaws dropped to the floor and we just lower our standards in response. So when it comes to cohabitating, we're just like, hey, I didn't have to commit to you. I didn't have to commit my life to you to get you. So why should I? Um, what, what's, what's the need? We're already doing the family. We're already doing the life together. Why is it that I need to continue to increase in order to maintain what I already have? So when it comes to cohabitating that natural desire to pursue for men and to strive toward the standard to, to get this woman, it's compromised if the standard is low. And don't get me wrong, men need to be leaders and need to have standards, moralities and virtues that they stick to regardless of whether a woman has lower standards. And don't I pray that you are not offended by what I'm saying, but I'm just saying like these cohabitating relationships end at a significant rate and just in a ridiculous rate. And it's a result of this exchange having taken place. And it's because responsibilities have preceded commitment when it should be the other way around. And unfortunately, because of the culture that we live in of just freedom of liberation live and let live, love is love, blah, 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 that those things don't really have responsibility associated with them. It's just a matter of fulfillment. What you want, you get men do what they deem right in their own eyes. That was a frequent scripture um, throughout the Old Testament, pretty much saying the Israelites and just whoever else they were tripping. They were just doing whatever they thought they wanted to do. And because we live in that culture, we have lower standards and the commitment component is not as significant. But it's important that when you are preparing for this relationship, when you're in the relationship, like commitment has to proceed. It has to be first. So do not bind yourself. Don't bind yourself before commitment. I feel like the next two are going to fly by. But the third thing is get clear about what you want. What is your expectation for your relationship, for your roles, the quality of relationship that you have with a stepchild and the level of authority you imagine yourself having? Like literally you imagine yourself functioning as a step parent and providing instruction, guidance, support. What does that literally look like? It's important to be able to land on this just so you have something 
to work from. So, for instance, if you come into the relationship and you see yourself like being able to whether cuddle with your with your child, whether you're on that extreme level or you're just like we get to we play ball together here and there and just having the ability to do that, having a fun time cooking together and the ability to to say to to little Jason or little Katie, hey, can you it's time to clean up your room. It's time to pick up and whatnot. And then maybe, you know, doing a little gasping or whatever you call it, exhaling, ugh, but then eventually getting to it. If that's what you imagine, you come into the situation and you're kind of testing it out. Like, where are we based on my imagination, what I picture my authority looking like and my relationship with my stepchildren look like and the reality. And if the reality is way off, then, hey, we got a problem. And if you can't function as a step parent, if you can't do that um, anywhere near what you imagine and you proceed in the relationship and things don't change, then you are more likely to become a nacho parent. Because this is there's just some there's a conflict within you and it is significant. Um, uh, You can also get clear on the roles that you imagine you and your spouse occupying. Like what does work look like? What does the drop off pickup schedule look like? The cooking, the cleaning, the appointments, the parent teacher um, conferences. What do these things look like? How are we going to work this out together? Because we're not just going to guess or stumble into this. A lot of these things can be dependent on your strengths, um, your desires, your likes, what you like to do and anything in between and kind of just working that out. You can also imagine your preferences concerning house rules. And some of us younger folks, when I was 25 and I got married, I wasn't like very clear on these things. I didn't know necessarily to think about these things as far as house rules outside of the basic, like, you know, keep it decent looking, I guess, uh, put the toilet seat down (laughs) and just real basic stuff, but give it some thought. What do you imagine for, for house rules? What do you think will be good for a family? And all of these things concerning get clear about what you want. You are going to come to your significant other and hash these out and see where we're at, see where their expectations lie. And again, see how close we are or how far we are from one another. So you are not surprised about how far you are when things become permanent and even your expectation concerning contact with the ex. And obviously this is something that is a bit more difficult to gauge because Relation when it comes to relationships, things get tricky. So maybe there is a greater need to be in contact because of the difficulty that one of the children are experiencing or just what the custody arrangement looks like. So that one, it can be a little tricky. But if you are in the relationship, you're paying attention, you can kind of determine what's necessary and what's not. How what's the quality content of their conversations as well as the frequency. It's totally fair to kind of give these things some thought and establish an opinion. And then again, bring it to the significant other so that we can work it out and see what is best if we can get on the same page concerning these things. A ton of fights happen because of the content, quality, frequency of contact with the 
with the X. It's a it's a thing in the the blended family. It is an experience. It really is. So to come to some parallel desire, some very apparent expectation is what's best. But if we can't, if they if those things are perpendicular as far as your understanding of what that should consist of, what should happen in that relationship, then we have a problem. We do. And the last thing I will say under the umbrella of preparation and paying attention is establishing or getting the right kind of support. It's so essential that we have community around us and that we are not doing relationship in isolation. I feel like there is a subtle there's like a a subtle shame almost or just because of the outlier that the blended family is, at least for right now, based on the direction that we're headed in as far as the United States, as our country and culture we're headed in, it's probably going to be mostly more blended families than nuclear families, which is not a good thing. That is far from a good thing. Um, but again, based on just whether it's stigma, misunderstanding or just this subtle feeling of just inability to connect to connect with other people because they don't understand um, these blending scenarios tend to happen in isolation, not necessarily in community. But it's important that we do this relationship, family and all of it in community with other people. And we should have we need the right kind of support. And what that support looks like is people that won't entertain your distress. And there's a difference between someone listening to you as you express some of your confusion, your hurt or some of the difficulties that you're going through versus somebody that is possibly exacerbating your problems. Like they are a hype man (laughs) for your problems. Like it's not something you're not getting any relief. If anything, you're just being affirmed in your difficulty. That is not what people need. It's okay to get some comfort or get some consolation and whatnot, or even some correction. I love it that I have people around me that's just not going to deal with my stuff. (laughs) They're not when I'm just talking out the side of my mouth, when I'm saying things that are not the truth, whether about my wife or my children. I love that I am surrounded by men, especially, but even by women who are also friends with my wife that will point me in the right direction, that will say truths over me and about my situation. And it just makes all the difference in the world. And the right kind of support also consists of people that are in favor of both you and your spouse. And this is important because that means this individual is looking at the full picture from their perspective as best they can opposed to just isolating your experience like the hype man that's going to expound on your distress and just affirm you and probably even talk bad about your significant other. They are simply on your side um, and they're just going to entertain whatever it is you're going through, but they are not going to look at the full picture of your family and what's best for the longevity, the health and well-being of everyone, including the children. Those type of people will tell you to get a divorce just because you're just in a bad spot or you're not happy simply because you're not happy. And yes, this person, your significant other may be doing things that aren't serving you, that aren't supporting you, and they are making mistakes. Um, 
and I don't mean the most egregious kind of mistakes as far as abuse and things of that nature, um, but we don't want to be surrounded by people that would slip in the D word into our minds and our hearts and affirm the destruction implosion of our family. There are some people where it's just like they recognize a real and extreme threat and therefore, you know, they're going to provide a certain kind of support. But in most situations, the person that's just worried about you and not your entire unit, not both of you and your spouse, this is just not a person that has your best interest at heart. There's some selfishness rooted in their tie to you and they can create division. So you want the right kind of support, somebody, people that are going to look at the whole picture. And as they serve you, they're also serving your marriage. They're also serving your family, opposed to picking sides, placing the blame or saying who's right or who's wrong in any situation. And even if there is someone who is glaringly, obviously right and someone who is egregiously wrong, there is still the heart to serve the unit and for that relationship to be restored and be brought back together and to be stronger, supporting you in the direction of a thriving, functional marriage and family. Those are the people that you want to be surrounded by. So those are the four things. Let me go ahead and briefly recite them. Do your homework again. Link to that episode is in the description. Don't bind yourself before commitment. Get clear about what you want and establish the right kind of support in your life and in your relationship. If you do those four things, not only are you way more likely to achieve one of the two successful outcomes in moving forward in commitment with parallel desires or going your separate ways, but ultimately you will avoid becoming a nacho parent. Exercising these things during courtship early on in relationship will make all of the difference. I hope you guys got something from this. And if you have experience with one of these outcomes, whether the success in moving forward or the success of separation and you're listening, please shoot me a message. I would love to hear back and see if this is a formula that has proven to be fruitful in somebody's life. Seriously, reach out to me or maybe you wish you had access to this formula in a previous relationship. Either way, let me know. And you guys are amazing. We'll talk soon. Peace. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you heard something throughout the episode that could make all the difference. Please take a moment to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of that blended goodness. Episodes are up and running on the second and fourth Wednesday of each month. Until then, do not settle for anything less than what's possible.